Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Here, even more recently, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples. He has been making his way throughout the Galilee region, there along the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum and uh, the surrounding areas. And he's beginning to make his way toward Nazareth at the end of Matthew 13, the last portion of the chapter. We see that Jesus does, in fact, arrive in Nazareth, which is, which is considered his hometown. And much of what we have considered over the past few weeks has happened on the Sabbath and even in the synagogue. Uh, But Jesus has now left the synagogue and he's gone in and out of houses in the town. And now he's come out of a particular house and he is along the shore of Galilee and a large group has made their way to him. We find this here in, in Matthew 13 beginning in verse 1. It says that on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Jesus' popularity is growing as the crowds following him are growing larger. People are coming to him and they want to hear what he has to say. Perhaps they want to see miracles. No doubt some who are there are ready to follow him anywhere. Their lives are already being transformed by his teaching. And as we will see, there are many different types, though, of people that are gathered to Jesus at this time, as will be evidenced in the parable that he shares. Jesus, in order to uh, be heard by the multitude, he sets out a little ways on a boat. He sits down as the rabbis would. Teachers in this time would sit while the multitude would actually stand. So swapped from how we do things today. And uh, he begins to address the multitude gathered there. Uh, There's acoustics in this particular area. Some of you have been out on the water before. Maybe you were out on a boat and you were talking and somebody on shore shouted out to you and you heard them rather clearly and you thought oh they could hear my entire conversation just now right sound travels differently on water and Jesus uses this to his advantage and we see then in verse 3 it says then he spoke many things to them in parables I want to pause here for a moment and say that we will consider here shortly the significance of parables and the reason that Jesus spoke to them in this way Uh, Jesus gives us insight as the disciples ask, Jesus, why are you teaching in this particular way? Uh, But we'll come to that here shortly after we consider and read through the first parable that Jesus gives us. Matthew writing of Jesus saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. In verse 4, And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some, verse 7, fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, there are likely some in this crowd who were attempting to and and even maybe grasped a little of what Jesus was saying here. 
There are probably some who were familiar with planting and with harvesting uh, who thought, well, yeah, that happens. It, it made sense to them as Jesus was explaining this process. They, in their own experience, knew of times where they had cast out seed and, and certain seed took and, and others did not. Uh, but maybe they're thinking, well, I didn't expect to get a farming lesson today from Jesus. No doubt there were many who thought, I have no idea what he's talking about. As we consider the Word of God, we need to oftentimes, as we're studying it, put ourselves within the context of the hearers. If you uh, had heard about Jesus and you were going out to, to hear from Him and to see Him and, and hearing that He taught these amazing, wonderful things and performed miracles, and, and maybe this is the first time that you've gathered to Jesus and He begins to talk about how to plant seeds you might think to yourself, I, I, don't, I don't know that this makes a whole lot of sense. This isn't what I expected to hear. And so the disciples, who themselves seemed to be somewhat confused, ask of Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? As we read in verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now let's consider for a moment this morning what a parable is. A parable is really a story. And in the context of the Bible, it is a story that is intended to convey or to illustrate a spiritual truth. Now, Jesus would not have intentionally wasted anyone's time or, or would include in Scripture something that did not make sense or something that didn't have value. So we can trust that what Jesus is saying here and the fact that Matthew records it, that there is purpose in this. There is purpose in the parables. Now, a good parable also has relevance for the hearers, those who are listening to it, in a couple of different ways. One, the parable should make sense to them contextually. That is, like in the case of this parable that's being told to those who lived in an agrarian society, they knew a thing or two about planting. They knew a thing or two about growing food, about harvesting crops. And secondly, then, the story it illustrates must have significance for them, meaning that it means something. It has a purpose behind it, if it's going to be a good parable. Fortunately for us, Jesus gives an explanation of not just the parable. He gives actually an explanation of a couple of the parables that he shares, but he also shares his purpose for using them. In verse 11, we read, He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand." Now, as we hear this explanation from Jesus as to why he's using parables, this may seem even to us like he's telling another parable. In that, it doesn't necessarily make sense. If you're like me, as you read this perhaps multiple times, you find yourself really questioning, what is it exactly here that Jesus is communicating? What is he saying here? And essentially what Jesus is saying is not everyone is ready not everyone there is ready to hear what Jesus has to say to them. Moreover, not everyone there wants to hear what Jesus has to say to them. J.B. Phillips translates verse 13 as, They go through life with their eyes open, 
but they don't see anything. Any of you know someone like this? You find yourself thinking of this particular individual who, who maybe, maybe in their life you can see God working so clearly, moving so powerfully in their life, but yet they just don't see it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They can't seem to grasp the things of God and what it is that God is doing in their lives. They're going through life with their eyes open, but yet they're not seeing anything. The fact of the matter is, as we consider this particular passage, really the whole chapter, but especially here as Jesus gives explanation to his use of parables, what we must understand is that God's grace and his mercy is all over this passage. What he's saying here is to those who want to know, to those who want to grow, who want to learn, who want to know more of Jesus, more is given. Have you ever had that experience where as you're studying God's Word, maybe in your own personal devotion life, or maybe it's a series uh, in church on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or in a women's or a men's study, but what what you're experiencing is just this flood of truth that's coming to you from God's Word. The more you dig and the more you follow after this rabbit trail that suddenly caught your attention, the more you begin to see and the more you become amazed at just how powerful and how truly living and active the Word of God is. And you just find yourself saying, Lord, I want more. And you know what? The Lord says, here you go. Here's more. And He continues to feed you from His Word. It's a wonderful experience. But it's coming to you because of His grace And in response to your pursuit of Him, it's because you want it, it's because you are seeking it, it's because your heart is open to it. The working of the Holy Spirit that is with you, drawing you under repentance, is having an effect on your life. And maybe then you've come to salvation, you've received the Holy Spirit, and now it indwells you and empowers you and equips you, and you're continuing to just desire more and more of the Lord. Jesus says to you, more will be given. But to those who don't want to hear it, it is concealed. Now you may ask the question, but but don't they need to hear it? And the answer would absolutely be yes. There are people who are lost who need to hear the Word. But sadly, many of them don't want to. They've closed themselves off to it. And, And this isn't, by the way, those who are trying to hear who are trying to know but just can't quite figure it out, they just can't make sense of it, be encouraged when someone seems to be really trying to grasp the truth of the Word of God, that they're wrestling with spiritual things, that God is in fact at work in their lives, the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. Just continue to be one who waters that, who prays for them, who prays that God would protect them, that the seeds that are being planted in their life, as we'll consider here shortly, that they indeed take root, but know that God is at work. This isn't about, Jesus isn't, isn't speaking here about those who are trying, who want to know, but are just struggling. This is about people whose hearts are hard, that they have begun to reject the Word of God. Now, as you think about that, you might be inclined to ask yourself, well, how exactly is that God's grace? Well, as I mentioned, God's grace and His mercy are all over this passage. In particular, His grace is demonstrated toward us in that as we receive His Word, He gives us more and more. That's unmerited favor. That's God showing His grace towards us. But as it relates to His mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, we see that evident here 
as well. Why do I say that? Well, let's consider once again the context. What is it that Jesus has been communicating? What had he just shared with them? What was it that we considered just last week in chapter 12 in verses 31 and 32? It says there, and these are the words of Jesus, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Jesus has been speaking from a place of of judgment. He has been giving insight into the difference between believers and unbelievers. As we come now into His parables in chapter 13, He's giving us parables about the kingdom of heaven, the way things work, the way things function. And we find here then that though it can be confusing to us that somehow Jesus would conceal the truth of His Word from someone, the fact is it's people who have rejected His Word, who are rejecting His Word, that He's saying, if I were to share it with you and you rejected it, there would be more judgment heaped upon you. And so Jesus in His mercy toward us says, those who are ready to hear who want to hear, there's more. But to those who are rejecting My Word... It's going to be concealed from you. That in and of itself, yes, is a judgment. It's a judgment unto themselves. But Jesus demonstrates his mercy because such would be better for a man who walks away and simply says, I'm confused, I don't get it, than to walk away and say, I reject it. While Jesus then is in fact using these parables to reveal mysteries of the kingdom, The other thing we need to consider here is that I do not believe that this is about some special secret knowledge that's only going to be revealed to the elite. This isn't about Gnosticism here. This isn't about, oh, these these special little things that if if you reach a certain level, you can be included in the special club and understand these things. No, Jesus wants everyone to know these things. God wants everyone to understand these things. I believe what this is is a sensitivity on the part of Jesus to the condition of the heart. As he goes on to say in verse 14, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That is, that that these people that he's speaking of who are essentially rejecting the word of God, that they are the living fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And look, and their eyes, they have closed. They have done it. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Remember as Jesus came into Jerusalem there in His triumphal entry, riding upon the, the donkey. As He came into the city and as He looked out, what did He cry out? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had only known. You see, we see consistently throughout Scripture the heart of our Savior, and so I reject the idea that somehow this is just God in His sovereignty closing people's eyes. I believe that in His infinite grace and mercy, He desires that all should be saved, that all should come to repentance, that none should perish. Now, as He says to the disciples in verses 16 and 17, but blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. And so here Jesus is saying, praise God for those who do hear and those who do see. 
Think of Isaiah, think of Jeremiah, think of of Daniel, think of Moses and Abraham and, and David and others who died in faith longing to see. Do you know this morning, Christian, that you have experienced something that they did not? That they lived their lives hoping in the Messiah and you today get to live your lives in the truth of the Messiah, the risen Lord, to say that yes, He has come and He died for me and He rose again and He is alive today and His Spirit is living in me. How blessed are you? And we need that perspective today, friends. I know that there's some things this week that maybe didn't turn out the way that you expected it to turn out. Notre Dame beat Clemson. There wasn't something else, was there? I think that was it. What is your hope in? What is giving you your perspective? Is it the fact that you get to experience something that so many longed for? And the even greater thing is that all of us, including them, that there will come a day when we will be together in his presence. So Jesus then is using parables to speak to those who are willing and ready to hear so that they would know certain things about the kingdom of God. Well, what are those things? In some cases, the parables need a little explanation. So praise God that He gives it. In verse 18, we read, and through some of these we'll move somewhat quickly. In verse 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. So Jesus now gives an explanation to the parable He's already shared. Now the sower here uh, is Jesus. This is the Son of Man. Okay, So as we're understanding this, the sower is Jesus. And this could rightly be called the parable of the soils rather than the parable of the sower because that's really what the emphasis is on is what soil is the seed being planted in. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and that is the seed. The word of the kingdom is the seed which is planted by the sower or cast by the sower, which is Jesus, into the hearts of men, human hearts like yours and mine. And when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. You might already understand who the wicked one is. Of course, that's Satan and his demons who come and snatch away what was sown in the heart of man. This first one here whose seed is cast there by the wayside, this is the hard heart. Okay, what we see here is four soils. This is going to be four categories of the hearts of men. This one is the hard heart. And the enemy, Satan, comes and quickly takes away the word from them. The wayside, okay, is something that they would have been familiar with during this time as they more often cast seed rather than planting them in rows like some of you who are familiar with the Midwest or even some of the farm country in South Carolina are accustomed to where things get uh, dug up in rows and planted in rows. At this particular time, there was paths and roads that were running through different areas that might be somewhat suitable for planting seed. And the wayside would have been one of those paths that went along the side and some of the seed just gets cast into that area. But the thing is, is it isn't able to get in. It isn't able to to take root anywhere. And very quickly, uh, the birds come and just snatch up the seed and take it away. Nothing really ever happens with the truth of God's Word in that situation. That's the hard heart. It can't take root. But in verse 20 we read, But he who received the seed on stony places... This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. You see, in the stony places, there was room for the seed to make its way down in amongst the stones and reach some soil. 
Yet it says in verse 21, he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately, he stumbles. You see, the roots were not able to go very deep there amongst the stones and the the modest soil that was there. And when the sun came up, it burnt it away. When troubles came in, when persecution arises, it immediately burns up and is gone. And this is the superficial heart. We have first the hard heart, and then we have the superficial heart. The one that shows some immediate signs of salvation, but yet never truly takes root. In verse 22, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. In the word, excuse me, in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. You see, the thing about the soil that has the thorns in it is that it is fairly good soil as evidenced by the other things that are growing there. The problem is, of course, we know when we're planting, we want clean soil. We want nothing else that will interfere with the growth. And so this is the divided heart. And I think if we're honest, certainly it would be my opinion that it's this soil. It's the soil there amongst the thorns that is the greatest risk to anyone living in the Western world today. It's the greatest risk of those in the church here in the United States of America today. Because it's, it's this soil And it is for us the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches that so often gets in our way today as individuals as well as in the corporate sense, even within the supposed church as a whole. The New Living Translation says that it is the cares of this world and the lure of wealth. The lure of wealth. Paul writes to Timothy in in 1 Timothy in chapter 6, Uh, In verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. This is a temptation that is always in front of us. And, and it doesn't always come in the form of just specifically, here's money that I'm chasing after. But I think even as we have seen as of late and we've discussed over and over and over again in this year that is 2020, we have been reminded, at least certainly I have, of how many different things exist in our world today that lure us away, that distract us from what it is that God wants to do in our lives. This could absolutely, in my opinion, be a year that we could entitle the falling of idols as one after the other after the other is toppled. And we find ourselves maybe thinking, Lord, is there anything else that I'm trusting in other than You? And yet, here again comes another idol, another object of our hope and our attention that fails to fulfill, that ultimately disappoints us and finds us once again going, Lord, it's only You. It's only You that I ought to seek after. But sadly, this is so often what happens And then, of course, we see in verse 23, but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. This is the fruitful heart. We have the hard heart, the superficial heart, the divided heart, 
and the fruitful heart. And these are the various hearts, the various soils that exist in the world today just as they did in the time of Jesus. And we would do well, in my opinion, even as believers, to consider how these various soils still exist in the fields of our own hearts today. Now the reality of the soils can be frustrating to us today because we all know someone, maybe it was once you, that they get the word, seeds are cast, and you think, okay, this time it's going to take. I see it beginning to have an effect in their life. And then they seemingly walk away from it all. And you think, what happened? How could this happen again? I thought it was real this time. I thought they were, they were, they were going to surrender their life to Christ this time. And, 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 and as we consider those things, we must remember a few other things that Jesus gives us insight to. As he continues to share in parables, he tells of the wheat and the tares. In verse 24, he says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. These tares are called, literally the term for them is darnels. They are weeds and the ones that would have been sown amongst wheat at this particular time were called darnels, and they're, they're poisonous. They, they look like wheat for a time. And they're sowed among the wheat, and, and, and the enemy does this and went his way. And in verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now Jesus does give us an explanation of this parable similar, similar to that of the soils, but he does not immediately share it. At this point, he's still addressing the multitude, and he continues then on with two more parables. And we will as well, and then we'll return, as Jesus does, to the wheat and to the tares. So first then, Jesus goes from here as he's addressing the, multi the multitude to then the parable of the mustard seed. In verse 31, it says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. A few things for us to consider here today. First, we see throughout these parables that the man, the sower, is the son of man. It's Jesus. I want you to understand that because I believe that applies in every case throughout this chapter. Secondly, oftentimes people look at this and they see only the idea here that this little seed, which represents the humble beginnings of the church, turns into something great. And in many respects that is true. We can look at this and we can say that the, the, the church began as this small thing and it grew into something much bigger. But here's what we must understand and I believe is often overlooked in this passage is that a mustard seed does not turn into a tree. Under any circumstances, it does not become a tree. Certainly a tree that birds can nest in. That is what you would say is unnatural. If you saw a mustard seed that became a tree, you would say that's sort of freakishly huge. Something went wrong. And I do, do believe that that's part of what is being addressed here in this parable and what's happened to the church today. 
Recall the previous parable and the tares that were sown, which is indicative of false believers in the church. In like manner, the mustard seed has grown unnaturally large so that even birds of the air... And by the way, where do we most recently see a bird spoken of and what was it compared to? But the enemy who takes away the seed. And so the fact that there are birds nesting in the branches of this tree is not suggestive of, oh, look at the wonderful thing that the church has become and birds are just enjoying themselves. But rather that even the birds of the air, the enemy comes in and nests among it. I do not believe that this is speaking necessarily of the glory of the kingdom so much as Jesus is revealing to us that the kingdom and the kingdom of this age will become something that God did not intend and that there will be some who will come into the church and under the covering of the branches who are not intended to be there. False teachers. And, 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 and it will become so big, the church, in, so big in ways that it was not intended to be, where we make it something that it is not. And how have we done this today? Right, as you think about it, with everything we've expected church to be, and all the things we expect the church to do, and how we work to grow it ourselves and to make it bigger and bigger. And how do we do that? By making it attractive. And then by inviting things into the church that were never supposed to be there. And to fill it with people who don't really know Him. We've done a dis- disservice to the body of Christ today in the way that we have sought to build His church. The very church that Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But in all our ways that we've brought in programs and attractive things and, 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 and different ways to entertain and to foster emotional responses to things, it's become something that I believe he never intended it to be. Though in his wisdom and in his foreknowledge, he knew. And he gives us insight. Similarly, in the next parable, Jesus says in verse 33, another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it all was leavened. We know based off of Scripture that leaven is not a good thing. As Jesus shared this at this time, no one would have thought, oh, leaven, that's wonderful, we all want more of that. A good rabbi certainly would, uh, would have rejected this idea. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9 says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And such is the leaven of false doctrine, the leaven of false teaching, the leaven of religion, the leaven of, of entertainment and all of the various things that we have allowed that comes then also through unbelievers who have been sown by the enemy into the church and amongst us in the world today. It goes on to say in verse 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so we see here in this interaction with Jesus and the multitudes, the fulfillment of prophecy. Yes, at this time he spoke to them in parables. It's not to say that he always spoke in parables and nothing else. We see that that's not the case in Scripture. But here it is. And so Jesus spoke to the multitude in this way. Why? Because just because there were all these people following him around and saying they were excited about Jesus... It did not mean that they knew Him. It didn't mean that they wanted to know Him. And what we must understand is that you can't worship what you don't know. And Jesus in His grace 
towards us and in his mercy towards them once again reveals only these things of his kingdom to those who want to receive it. And it's at this point then that Jesus sends the multitude away and he went into a house. And so now they're no longer with him and it's his his disciples that come to him and they come to him and they say, okay, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. We want to make sure we understand this. So now it's just his disciples with him. The multitude has gone away. Some are likely confused, but as I mentioned before, uh, those that have gone away, it's better that they be confused than, than simply outright rejecting who he is, giving the Spirit more opportunity to work and to hopefully soften their hearts. And so in response to the disciples in verse 37, he answered and he said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. We've established this already. So the sower is Jesus. The field, Jesus says, verse 38, the field is the world. So note here, that's not the church. The body of believers is the church. And and even within the context of this parable, it's not speaking specifically of uh, the the gathering of the church, right? But rather the people. And, And the implication here is that if the field is the world, that the church is out in the midst of the field. They're out in the world amongst other people. And he says the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, okay? So that, that's the church. These are believers, followers of Jesus Christ. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And remember, these are, these are poisonous weeds. They look just like the wheat for a time until it comes time to begin to harvest them. And in verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. You can read of this in Revelation. You can read in Revelation 14. And, you can, and really from 14 on, you read about what's going to happen at this time. And therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend. And I think you know, this is going to be an awesome time because who is Satan but a fallen angel? and his demons with him, who are the other angels. And I have no doubt at all that for the angels today that continue to serve the Lord faithfully, who even, it says, look upon us with curiosity and look into the truth of the gospel with curiosity, because remember, they were, they were made in a different way than we are. Here at this point, this is their opportunity. Those who know Satan far better than we do to say, oh yeah, it's on now, right? It's time for the harvest. We're gonna, so, so God's going to say, okay, angels, go get them. But then it says, the Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus speaks here of a very somber and solemn reality that there will come a time when the Lord of the harvest commences the harvest and gathers up true believers unto himself and unbelievers unto judgment and damnation. And this reality should motivate us. But I think we, we also see something else here that it will, and that's that it will happen in his time. Notice how early on those who, those who served the master said, should we go out now and should we begin to pluck the wheat out or the tares out? Should we begin to separate them now? And, and Jesus said, no, not now. You wait until the right time lest you affect the wheat as well. 
And so I think what we must understand here that Jesus is communicating to us, whether it be in this parable or the one that he's already shared, whether the mustard seed or the leaven, is that these things are going to happen. He's giving his disciples insight into the kingdom of heaven so that when we see things happening today, even though it may cause us to go, oh, that grieves my heart, God knows. God knows. He's already said this is going to happen and I'm going to take care of it and these things are going to happen at the right time. So Christian, you don't need to go out and try and start weeding out the church and saying, well, you're a fake and you need to get out of here. No, we just continue to preach the gospel and trust that the soil is going to fall on good or the seed is going to fall on good soil and take root and we leave the rest to the Lord. You see, we see in the parable the desire to weed the field early and Jesus says, wait. And as frustrating as it can be when we think of posers doing damage in the church, we must realize it's not a work that we can take on. It's Him. And in the same way, listen, in the same way that we cannot earn salvation and that we cannot uh, build His church, that He builds it, we're not responsible for weeding it out. He is. And it's really a wonderful thing to consider that all of this is His work. And this lends itself to the remaining parables here. In verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, as you read this, you may have heard this before, and you may have heard that this is about us giving all that we have to purchase the field and the treasure that it is within it. The treasure being the kingdom of God, the treasure being salvation, and that we sacrifice everything for the kingdom of heaven. Or similarly, in the next parable, in verses 45 and 46, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, many sermons have been taught on leaving it all behind for the sake of the kingdom. Sacrificing everything for the sake of the kingdom. And while it's not my intent to necessarily say that's wrong, I suppose in some respects I am. I'm submitting to you a different way of looking at this. Why? Well, even though it's a parable and one can argue that it's an analogy here, the first thing I struggle with is we can't buy salvation. We can't buy it. I can't go out and purchase it. And you could say, well, maybe that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. It's just a parable, but I think far too often we do this. You might ask, do what? We make it about us. I think far too often we come to a place in Scripture like this, and even though it's suggesting, yes, that we need to sacrifice all to follow Jesus, and that is true, I think it's in our tendency and it's our flesh to come to passages like this and go, yes, this is, look what I have done. I gave it all up for you, Jesus. I sacrificed it all for you, Jesus. I gave everything for you, Jesus, because you're so precious to me. And while I hope that that's true in each of our lives and that's a work that the Lord does in us through the process of sanctification, that we come to a place where we say, yeah, Jesus is everything to me. The fact of the matter is, He's often not because I'm a sinner, because I have flesh, because I live in this world. Do you know who did give everything? Who sacrificed everything for the treasure? Who gave up all that they had for the pearl? It was Jesus. He's the only one who's ever given it all. And it's such a wonderful picture to me. And you can disagree with me on this one. You can say, oh, I see it the other way around. 
But I see it this way because I can't help but see in these parables, in these two parables specifically, now here it is, Jesus is, is talking specifically to his disciples to say there's a man who found a treasure and that treasure is you. There's a merchant who sought out a pearl and that pearl is you. Yes, you are a treasure to me. Even though you're stuck out there in the dirt, buried up and forgotten, even though you are a pearl yet unformed and maybe nobody sees your value today, I do and I'll give everything for you. I will step down from my rightful place, my rightful throne in heaven and come into this world. I will become a man and I will endure all of those who reject me, who despise me, who spitefully use me, who persecute me, who ultimately arrest me and torture me and seek to kill me and think that they successfully do, I will go through it all. And not just that, but I will experience separation from God the Father. I will take sin upon me, even though it's not my sin. I will do it all for you, because you are precious to me. I think the man that we see, and it's consistent with the other parables in this passage, that the man is Jesus. It's not us. And that once again, we see his mercy towards us, and we see his grace towards us, that I think, man, I'm not a treasure. I'm not a pearl. But God, that's how you see me. Why does he do it? For the joy of purchasing you. Just as it says, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys it. For the joy of purchasing you. Isn't that more wonderful? If we look at it this way, isn't it, isn't it more wonderful than a story about me going, oh, you know, I, I gave it all for Christ. No, it's about him. It's about Hebrews 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It was his joy, his love for you. It was his joy over you that caused him to give everything. And his joy is for all. It's for every single one of his creation. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way forward as they close us out in song. And I want you to consider these last two parables that Jesus gives us. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. For some of you, when I say dragnet, you think of a show. You show your age a little bit on that one. This is God's net. Again, it's a parable. But it's God's net that is continuing to make its way through the waters of this world. And it will do so until the end of time. And what this shows us is that the world will continue to be divided. And in that time, at that appointed time, he will separate out those who believe and those who reject him. And the question becomes, which one are you? Maybe it's you here in this place today. Maybe you're watching online or will watch later on. But the question inevitably becomes, which one are you? It is certainly my prayer that each and every one of us would say, we believe. We believe. We trust in Jesus. We understand. The parables make sense to us. We understand it. We get it. But there are some who have yet to make that decision. And for them, I would say, today is the day of salvation. Wait no longer. But lest we think that we are off the hook somehow, we read in verse 51, as Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. 
And so we trust that they did. We trust that the disciples did. Uh, but with understanding, no differently for you, there is implication. As Jesus shares one last parable in verse 52, he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And what does he mean by this? Well, like you in your home, you likely have both new and old things. New and old things that you treasure, maybe even equally. And, and these new and these old things become the decor of your home. And so also those who understand the word of God have a responsibility of taking the Old Testament, Jesus concealed, and the New Testament, Jesus revealed, and to put the beauty of these things on display in their lives. Jesus said to his disciples, you have a responsibility. If you understand, you have a responsibility to do something with this knowledge. And so for you today, I would, I would challenge you as we close. One, take seriously the truth of the gospel. Whether that means as a believer that you are standing for truth as various things enter into the church, or as a seeker to receive the truth, take the word seriously. Make sure the soil of your heart is ready, not only for first-time salvation, but to continue to receive what it is that he has for you. Secondly, consider the fact that Christ has given all for you, that you are his treasure, that you are his pearl. And let the knowledge of that, the awareness of that, motivate you to live your life for him. And finally, as you understand the word, consider your responsibility in telling others about him. Consider your responsibility in taking what you know and what you understand about the truth of the gospel and the impact for eternity and share it with others as his net continues to drag on until that appointed time. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we pause now and we do give you thanks, Lord, for this day and for your word. Lord, the significance of your word to us and Lord, the depth of your teaching and what you have to share with us, Lord. Lord, help us to be a people who continue, Lord, by the power of your Spirit to rightly understand, Lord, what you've communicated through your Word and, and how you desire, Lord, to use us still today. And Lord, things that maybe you're speaking into our lives, Lord, ways that you're challenging us, that we would still be a people who are receptive, Lord, allowing what it is that you want to do in our lives to take root and to, and to come to fruition, Lord. And help us, Lord, ultimately... Lord, to consider all that you've put before us today and to just remember that, Lord, it's about you. It's your church, Lord. It's you, Lord Jesus, who died for us. Lord, it's you who moves and works. It's you who saves. It's not us, Lord, but you've invited us into that work. And so, Lord, what an incredible privilege. What an honor. And what, Lord, a, a, a wonderful and comforting thing to say, Lord, it's not about us and it's not about me. It's just about you. And so, Lord, cause us to be a people Lord, who just fixes our eyes upon you, who gives you the praise, who gives you the glory, who gives you the honor, and who gives you ultimately our lives. To say, Lord, do with it as you will. Father, we love you and praise you, and we ask, Lord, hear our praises as we sing now to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.